Hi, friends. I'm Katie. And I'm Olivia. And we are Podcast by Proxy, Canadian True Crime. Welcome. been a long time i know it feels like we've been taking like longer breaks between recording even though it hasn't been that long anyways we're here every I think week it's just because one week we did like a wednesday and then now we're doing a sunday so i think it just feels really far apart katie just really misses me guys <laughs> she just really misses me welcome uh, back yeah to the pod uh how's it going it's hot out we're in another like miniature heat wave not really heat wave but like it feels, kind of it yeah. feels it it was just um it's a long weekend right now we have the day off i don't know i am burning out from work mm, yeah. and not in a bad way i just was picking busy. up slack lately and it's been like six day weeks and like really long hot physical labor days out in the sun and i'm just i'm just recuperating these days off so really nothing exciting that's fair she's tired I'm tired. Yeah, I get it. I'm not 20 anymore. <laughs> we are. We already talked about that. Definitely not 20 anymore. Uh, I posted no. that meme or like that reel that you sent me on our show Instagram. If you don't follow us at Podcast it's by so Proxy. Real. But uh, it, it very much encapsulated what we were talking about uh, a couple episodes ago about like, we're not old, but we're certainly not young. You know, no. we're just not. Um, so yeah, if you're new here, welcome. If you're... If you're not new, welcome back. We are podcast by proxy. We talk about how old we and are. We're old. Yeah. And Canadian true crime and history things. Uh, today yeah. we're kind of we're kind of combining the the two genres of true crime and history, and uh, I've, she's an educational one. <laughs> I've been talking for a long time since we started the show about wanting to cover the 1971 Kingston Penitentiary riots. Um, which was like a huge prison riot, of course, in Canada, one of the biggest riots in history. I have a book right beside me about the riots. Um, however, what I decided was that we need a little like history lesson on Kingston Penitentiary before we talk about these, the riots that took place. Um, 100%. Because there was more. I need this. There was more than just those riots and there's a ton of history with Kingston Penn. Um, so we're going to have kind of more of like a history discussion today. Rather than, um, you know, murder. Murder. That's, uh, there's no other way to put it. Because there is still, like, quote-unquote true crime in this episode, but there is no murder uh, that we're going to directly talk about. I did, actually, this is like a random side note, but I was on Instagram today and I saw a post from a fellow indie true crime podcast called Wife of Crime Pod. Um, Mm -hmm. we've followed them for a long time. Aware of them. Yeah. And I actually noticed that last week or a couple weeks ago, their male co-host Russ, um, cause it's like a husband and a wife team. He was involved in a downhill mountain biking accident and is, has been declared paralyzed from the waist down. Um, And there is a GoFundMe up on their Instagram page to help out with medical costs and all that kind of stuff because they are American and Americans pay a lot friggin' more for healthcare than we do, especially depending on your insurance and things like that. Essentially, 
They pay for health They pay for their own health care. <laughs> Regardless, if you would like to support these two wonderful indie true crime podcasters through this time, um, their Instagram is Wife of Crime Pod, and they do have a GoFundMe. I just wanted to um, mention that and say, like, my condolences go out to them. We've been following them for a long time, and yeah. I think whenever anyone gets hurt and it like completely flips their lives upside down, it's tragic. Yeah, That's I just so, want to support I couldn't imagine. fellow indie true crime podcasters um, through that. So, yeah. I also thought of something. Um, and I won't say who just because I don't know if they want their name associated with this. But I just wanted to put out like a reminder with music festivals and everything going on that somebody close to me was at a bar the other night. Oh, uh, yes. Had a drink, uh, then remembers nothing. Friends of theirs had to come and find them in the venue. Uh, pretty much take them off of this man that was dancing with them. Ugh. And managed to get her home. But on the way out, she did hurt herself a few times. Because, again, she she was kind of wobbly on her feet. So, just a reminder to all to watch your drinks. Mm -hmm. Be careful, because even though you did nothing wrong... There's just pieces of shit out there that will drug your drinks. It's so scary and it can happen so fast. And actually, on that note, I saw recently, I think it was on Facebook, a post because, of course, concerts are back in swing now and the concert venues might be operating a little bit differently than they used to. And what I had seen recently was that I think it was like maybe Rogers Arena in Vancouver, but they are now having you pour even like a water bottle into an open cup on the floor um, in the concert venue. And a girl was basically saying that like she had put her water down and she noticed a guy behind her kind of like eyeing up her cup like he was going to be going for it. Like went to tie his shoe right after she put it down exactly. or something. Exactly. And so she obviously like grabbed it and then kept her cup really close to her. But whatever you have to do, whether it's like have a friend make sure that it's covered um, take your drink with you to the bathroom, like watch that thing like a hawk because there are, I think some... everybody should be allowed to bring a sealed container into a venue and put their drink into their own bottle for safety. Like I don't an see why that's an, an empty issue. one. Sure. I can agree yeah, with that. Yeah. Like it can be checked on the way in mm -hmm. just like your wallet, your keys, you go through a metal detector. You have to put your bottle aside. They just have to pick it up to see if there's anything in it. Just like, why can't you drink out of a water bottle on a concert floor? Right, Having your drink in an open cup is so much more likely to spill on everybody else than a closed water bottle. It's so messy. Like, do you know how also, many cups of beer my boyfriend kicked over at the Luke Combs concert that we went to recently? It's also doubling all the recycling because you're then going from your can or bottle into a cup that then has to be recycled. So we're mm -hmm. also doubling... The wear and tear on the um, ecosystem. Yeah. Anyways, watch your, that us? watch your drink. That's all. Watch we're your really drink. Saying. Watch the planet. Really, yeah. all we're saying. Yeah. But uh, that's really it. I think for the there wasn't much business this week. Um, we do have kind the of business. a longer episode as per usual. But I was gonna say the business. I just wasn't sure. Is that a thing <laughs> that we've? Is that catching I don't know. on? I've just been saying it a lot, and I just like it. So <laughs> I don't really care if it's catching on. I just like it. I just think it's funny. It genuinely gives me a giggle. Yeah. The business. The business. Well, there's not much other business this week, so uh, we're going to have a longer episode today. I think we could just jump right in. Agreed. Hop to it. Diggity dog. As, we've, as we talked about before anyway, 
I already set a dinner time because someone's like trying to be coordinated today. Yes. Are you having like a specific fancy dinner that has no. requires like a cook time? Like he just wanted no. to know. I think just frequently we take longer than expected because we're yammering on at the beginning. So I'm always later than I think. Like our recording is the same. I just don't account for all the other shit we do. I absolutely do not apologize for that, Simon. So no, neither. Sorry. Not sorry no, that your dinner's late. No. Okay. Well, we can just get into it because this is a really... This juicy case. story, it's like not juicy. It's just very foundational to our correctional system in Canada. And it's uh, really the baseline for my next episode, which will be the riots. I can't wait for the riots, to be honest. But I do need this information first. You do. Ever, we all do. Yeah, we all need it. Kingston Penitentiary uh, operated as a maximum security institution housing some of Canada's most heinous criminals for 178 years. Historian J.A. Edmondson wrote in his book, The History of Kingston Penitentiary, quote, If KP's walls could talk, we would indeed have stories of drama, of tragedy, of cruelty, of every vicissitude of human emotion. I don't even know what that word means. He was a historian. Uh, essentially, this <laughs> place that word was wild. Uh, vicissitude. What is the word? Vicissitude. You gotta spell that bad boy. V i c i s s i t u d e. Not an English major. Don't a know. A change that word. of circumstances or fortune, typically one that is unwelcome or unpleasant. Okay. Well, it it did that of every okay. human emotion. That was a big word. <laughs> yeah. So I have a little line from the Kingston Penitentiary Rules and Regulations for Inmates in 1836 just to kind of lay out um, what we were working with at the time. What we were working with, yes. Inmates must not exchange a word with one another under any pretense whatever, like whatsoever. Do not talk to each other. So like you're passing in the hall, you head down, don't make eye contact, just move, move, move. Inmates must not exchange looks, wink, laugh, oh. <laughs> nod, or gesture towards one another. Violators receive corporal punishment. Guards are to be on duty from 5 a.m. to 6.30 p.m. seven days a week from April 1st to September 30th and daylight hours during the rest of the year. God, what if you had like a twitch or like a little, like a bug was near you and someone thought you nodded at somebody? Like, God forbid, corporal punishment for a nod. You got the lash. You're going to, like, this episode is going to be outrageous to a lot of people, but this was the norm yeah. for prison conditions um, and lasted far too long at K Kingston Pen. But we'll get there. Yeah. Okay. Kingston, Ontario, so this is where we're located, midway between Toronto, Ontario, and Montreal, Quebec. Kingston sits at the northeastern end of Lake Ontario and the mouth of the Cataraqui River, which is the south end of Riju Canal. It's also near the uh, Thousand Islands, which is a tourist region on the east side, which I imagine dressing? is where the salad dressing came from. Uh, and it's also near the is Prince... Canadian? 
I don't know. We might have to Google what? it. I didn't Google that. I just was I'm like, going to be on my phone Googling like every paragraph. There's good. You can keep going, but I'm going to More than likely keep. you will. Yeah. Uh, so also near Prince Edward County, which is a tourist region to the west of mm. Kingston. Kingston is nicknamed Limestone City because it is full of heritage buildings built using local limestone. She old, old. And for the record, Thousand Island Dressing gets its name from a chain of islands standing in uh, northern New York and Canada. So, yes. So, it, that it, is it, it then. It seems, though, like it was actually created in the U.S. side, but because it's named for the islands that, you know, straddle. I was going to say, yeah. the Thousand Islands would be, like, that area would basically fall on both sides, so. Yeah, so that's kind of what they say, like, you, we yeah. have to say it's from both, but, ugh. look, yeah. we're both giving educational lessons today. Well, it's kind of how we talked about all the cities that like over have the same name but overlap, right? Yeah, there was one in Ontario that we recently well, talked we have, about. There's Vancouver, we BC, have Vancouver, Vancouver, Washington. Yep, it's so. very weird, but it's totally true. It is the same place, though. Like more than yeah. likely, it was incorporated before Canada and the U.S. were separate entities. You know, when we were all like one big chunk. Yeah. Kingston or Cataraqui, as the indigenous people know the area to be, sits on the traditional territory of the Iroquois people. The current city of Kingston was established as a French trading post in 1673, which was known as Fort Frontenac. Kingston was officially acquired by the British people in 1783 under the name Cataraqui, and settlers began arriving and settling in the region from then on. Cataraqui was referred to as the King's Town or Kingstown in uh, 1787 in honor of King George III, and the name was shortened to Makes Kingston sense. in 1788. Yeah. I did not know that. Okay. Me neither. It was named the first capital of the United Province of Canada on February 10th, 1841. However, its time as a capital city came to an end by 1844. So it was the first capital of, quote unquote, Canada, like the province of Canada, as it was known then, um, but only for a few years. <laughs> D didn't last. Okay. Okay. Kingston is fame. Done. Yeah. Kingston, of course, is also home to Canada's first large federal penitentiary, Kingston Penitentiary, which uh, will be the topic of today's episode. And we will be referring to it uh, either as Kingston Pen or KP for the duration of the episode. I'm not going to say Kingston Penitentiary anymore. <laughs> it's either going to be Kingston Pen KP or... KP is easy. Yeah. Kingston Pen is like usually how I've referred to it over the years. Yeah. But KP is how it was referred to in a lot of the research. So it's just kind of like I ended up writing it both ways. Yeah, fair enough. Kingston Penn operated from 1835 to 2013. Kingston, Ontario would also become home to multiple institutions, including the Federal Prison for Women, which opened in the year 1930 and closed in the 1990s. It's also home to Millhaven Penitentiary, Collins Bay, Frontenac, and Joyceville Institutions. At the time of its closure in 2013, Kingston Pen was one of nine prisons operating in the Kingston area, which all range from low to maximum security. Nine? Isn't that wild? That's I asked a lot of Brandon. Prisons in one area. I asked Brandon because he's from Ontario. Like, 
why are all the why? prisons in Kingston? And he said he didn't know. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. Super strange. But it's like, yeah, prison central over there. Kingston Penitentiary was constructed from the years 1833 and 1834 and opened on June 1st, 1835 as the Provincial, Penitent the Provincial Penitentiary of the Province of Upper Canada. Say that five times fast. No, because I know I can't. <laughs> right, you can barely say it once. It was renamed Kingston Penitentiary after Confederation slash the forming of Canada in 1867. The institution was built on land described as lot number 20 in the first concession of the township of Kingston. It's located between King Street West and Lake Ontario. So okay. this location for Kingston Pen was chosen after a man named Hugh Thompson who was the then editor of what was called the Upper Canada Herald, like the newspaper, <laughs> wrote to the government in 1826 recommending that a penitentiary be built in Kingston, which he said was rapidly growing. So he like wrote the government and said this town that he lived in was rapidly growing and they should build a big penitentiary there. Why? I don't know. I've never understood why people are like, hey, my city's really growing. Let's put all the criminals there as well. Who knows? No, I think just maybe outside of there might be good. but Which is what they did do. Like, they're not located in the city limits. All of these institutions <laughs> are, like, slightly outside of town, but, like, not really. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I didn't think they were, like, a petting zoo in town. They're <laughs> like, not. a city no. center. <laughs> no, no. The government eventually purchased 100 acres two miles outside of town, which was considered far enough from the population, but close enough to conduct business. So for the staff to drive there. Correct. Uh, and okay. actually, we'll find out in a little bit, but eventually there's like a bell tower put in and staff had to be, they had to live within earshot of the bell to get hired there. So you had to, be able, you had to be able to hear the bell at the prison go off like, in order ding, to get ding, a ding, job ding. there. I have not a clue if they were doing reference checks on this or not. Like if they were going <laughs> like going to people's houses or if they just taking their word for it. But that was a stipulation for a while. We'll have our bell assessor come to your home shortly after your interview. Yeah. Oh, my God. But then as they're testing it, everyone in earshot's like rushing to work. Like, <laughs> what the fuck? Oh, my God. When the penitentiary opened in 1835, it welcomed its first six uh, inmates from Toronto, Ontario. When they arrived, the prison was not quite ready for housing yet, so the inmates had to be held at a county jail for five days until they could be officially transferred into the penitentiary. Okay. All right. The, okay, so the original six. facility at Kingston Pen, yeah, six inmates. I don't know why that makes me laugh. I just picture, like, you know when they transport inmates and there's only, like, six people on the bus, which is oh, normal, yeah. but, like, that's the whole lot, just being like, we're that's almost everyone. there, guys. No, for, for real, that's everyone. I know, um, but I think that's funny. Yeah. <laughs> the original facility was a single large limestone cell block with 154 cells in five tiers. So those cells were only 74 centimeters or 29 inches by 244 centimeters or 8 feet deep in width and about 6 foot 7 in height or 200 centimeters. 
<laughs> Whoa, wait, what? So they That's were... That's how big the cells were? Yes. And how... What was the first measurement? 29 like inches by 8 feet deep in width. And 6 foot 7 high. So like 29 inches across... Eight feet. Okay, eight feet deep. Okay. And then six feet seven high. But not every man would fit in a two, 29 inch wide cell. Well. I thought you meant it was 29 inches deep, so they only had like a bed, and then at the end of the bed there was like a little bit of room where they could stand. I think it was two feet or 29 inches deep. It says. I'm so confused. 29 inches by eight feet deep in width. That's so weird. And then six foot seven high. Again, I'm going to the Google because now I need to see what these cells look like. Yeah. They're not bit. They're not very big. Let's put it that way. The prison at the, the time it opened also only had a 12 foot high picket fence made of wood surrounding the compound. However, by the year 1845, so 10 years after it opened, construction of three other wings in the main building was started and the picket fence was replaced by stone walls. Kingston Penn's massive stone walls became one of its defining characteristics. Oh, great. Towers and a north gate house were completed by the 50s and from the 1850s, by the way, And from 1859 to 1861, a dome connecting the four cell blocks was completed. It was then considered the largest public building in Upper Canada. Totally. That would be massive once they're all connected. Yeah. Because remember, they started with a single cell block and they added three new wings. Like all around it and then... (laughs) <laughs> and then towers, a gatehouse, yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, a bell tower was also added. Also, oh. I know this place is horrendous, but this photo is beautiful. It's beautiful to, like, weirdos like us that think prisons yeah. are really interesting. Does that not kind of remind you of the Titanic staircase, though? You come down from both sides, then it comes down to one. I mean, I think grand. it's stunning, but I have always I do been too. wildly fascinated by... This prison in particular. Institutions, <laughs> prisons. Why? Nobody knows. It's just who I am. Uh, it was a horrendous place, though. Yeah, not beautiful. Oh, but, yeah. Every other photo is horrific. But, like, but the like, indoor... Uh, yeah, some of the pictures that you see, they are so cool. Like, architecturally, so they're cool. crazy interesting. Yeah, yes. really cool. Yeah. A bell tower was added to the facilities in 1895 and became a prominent feature of the penitentiary. The bell in the tower rung at the beginning of the prisoner's workday and at the end of their workday. If it rang any time in between those times, it meant that someone escaped. Over the years, prisoners grew to absolutely despise the bell. Um, and we're going to talk about the bell a lot more in detail when we talk about the 71 riots because the bell had a lot to do with those riots. So we're kind of kind of put the bell on hold for now and just say that it was there. It was used as like a, a workday like start, workday end. Thing, or, or? Well, no, it was like rung when the prisoners oh, okay. were to start work. 
rung when okay. the prisoners were to end work, and then they rang it only if somebody escaped. I just thought the way you said that, like, put it aside for a second. I thought you meant, like, they put it aside for a second and didn't do the bell. That's why I was like, what? But no, okay, no, no, no. We're just sense. not. I'm gonna, putting it aside. We're just not okay. really going to talk about the bell for the remainder of the episode, but it was a very, very, very important feature of the penitentiary. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the cell. I know you've probably seen it, but. Yeah. So they're not very big. Not very big at all. Crazy. It does look that like the eight feet insane. is deep, though, and then the 28 inches is wide. Yeah. And it's like a, it looks like almost like an 18 inch wide bunk yeah. and a very narrow door. And you have like a tiny walkway beside the bed. And that's yeah. it. We'll post photos of that for sure. Yeah. It's very interesting, though. So like I said, prisoners grew to absolutely despise this bell over the years and employees who were hired at the penitentiary had to live with an earshot of the bell to be hired. So they hated it too, I'm sure. <laughs> Probably. The conditions at Kingston Pen throughout the years were described as terrible and inhumane. Much of the problems in later years were related to the aging facilities, overcrowding, shortage of staff. Too much time spent in cells and a lack of adequate channels to deal with complaints. Um, in the earlier years, it was just the 1800s and like, <laughs> nobody it really was cared. just <laughs> terrible and inhumane. Like, I don't have a lot of excuses That's for that. That's just how it's things just were done. The way it was. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Inmate number one at Kingston Penitentiary was a man named Matthew Tavender. He was serving a three-year sentence for grand larceny. Just months into his sentence, Tavender spoke, uh, spoke, which broke a rule and earned him six lashes. God. So he was lashed six times. Watch, like, it was like, bro sneezed, and he was like, bless you. And they were like, that's it! Like, yeah. get out of here! Um, and for anyone who doesn't know what grand larceny is, it's essentially just theft. Um... I believe grand larceny, it's, I don't, is that even a, um, a thing in Canada anymore? I don't think it is. No, I think it is in the States, but not in Canada. Yeah, I I'm pretty sure used. grand larceny. Isn't it just theft over 5,000? Yeah, <laughs> like, I'm pretty sure grand larceny would be the same as like theft over 5,000 and larceny yeah. would be the same as theft under 5,000 in Canada yeah, under like today's whatever, yeah. laws. Um, but I, I believe, agree. Yeah. No, I 100% agree. All right. In the early days of the institution, a, quote, coarse diet was considered part of the inmate's punishment. So a daily typical menu in the 1880s included for breakfast, a pint of coffee, a half pound of bread, half pound of potatoes, and a quarter pound of beef or pork. For lunch, it was the same as uh, breakfast, except for the coffee was replaced with soup. And for dinner, uh, the menu was 10 ounces of bread and a pint of coffee. Okay, so both of these things are going to be relevant. But when you said a course menu, I couldn't tell if you meant it was like thick and dense or there was multiple courses, which both are true. Both. But no, you meant it was thick and dense. I meant it was thick and dense. Could you yeah. imagine starting your day with A, you're eating all that fiber between the potato starch and the bread, and then you're just going to shit it out immediately because you're drinking a whole pint of coffee. I was going to say, as a person who chooses usually one carb option per meal, 
it's the bread and the potatoes that gets me. Like immediately yeah. I'm like, mm, that's too much. Too many carbs. My dad in the 90s used to drink a pot of coffee a day by himself. That was just normal. So the coffee thing is like, it's a lot, but it's a lot right. when you combine it with a loaf of bread. Honestly, I was just happy that they got beef or pork with breakfast because at least they're getting There's a protein. protein. Like 10 ounces yeah. of bread and a pint of coffee for dinner sounds, that is punishment. And again, we're not saying these inmates deserve it. I have always said, though, I think that we should treat inmates with respect so we're not stooping to their level either. Like, it's, yes, they're entitled to those rights, but I just think, like, people are always like, oh, just burn them at the stake. And it's like, well, no, let's not be monsters either because we don't have to turn into that. So, well, like, not all of these people were serving life sentences. Like, this guy was serving... stole something. guy was serving a three-year sentence for theft, like... I don't know. They're he still human. Stolen, like, they're a still shitty car. They're still human beings. Yeah. God. Kitchen staff would actually try to get creative, uh, so they kept a bow and arrow <laughs> handy in the kitchen to like shoot down pigeons that landed in the yard. And by the early twentieth century, pigeons were still like a regular ingredient in Kingston Pen stew pots. I was gonna say it's probably pigeon stew, which mm-hmm. also makes me think of that pigeon in the Burnaby prison that flew in with a little backpack with drugs on. Oh my god, what? Didn't you see that? I will no. send it to you. Oh, oh my, my god, goodness. it's adorable. That's hilarious. Did somebody train it to do that? Yeah. And he was busted and now I want to know what happened to the pigeon. Okay, that's wild. Stay tuned for that. Um, In the year 1847 alone, Meals of bread and water only were used as a form of punishment over 5,000 times in one year. Oh, God. Yeah. That is beyond excessive. Yeah. Other forms of punishment that were commonly used in the earlier years of Kingston Pen included lashing by an object known as a cata cata nine tails or the cat, as it was commonly referred to. Anyone familiar with, like, military will know what this is. It is a multi-tailed whip originally used to inflict severe physical punishment in the Royal Navy and the British Army. Yeah. I have heard of that. Yeah. It sounds horrifying and awful. They also punished prisoners in something called the box, which was literally a casket-like box that was standing upright, and they would, like, put prisoners in there and force them to just stand in there for hours at a time which is my personal worst at least it's upright i will say i still hate it was laying down that would freak me out even more but that is terrifying because yes i 100 percent believe i have a little bit of claustrophobia yeah Mm -hmm. uncomfortable wouldn't i would have yeah like even watching other people in really tight spaces like we've talked about this watching people go caving and stuff sliding in those little spots like (laughs) nope I was watching Bones the other day, and they got buried alive, and I was so uncomfortable. Like, in a car, I was, like, internally freaking out. Haven't you seen the Ryan Reynolds movie where he is buried alive? I would never watch that. Why would I willingly watch that? It was a Ryan Reynolds movie, so of course I watched it, because it came out when I had no willpower. (laughs) I would not, I will not willingly watch stuff like that. Same with the movies where, what's the movie... Where all it is is the guy stuck with his arm under a rock and then he has to 127 hours. I'm never going to watch James Franco. that. I will Definitely never watch, watch that. Definitely watch that too. It's never going to happen. Sounds awful. Another it one is of my awful, worst but nightmares. That's why you watch it. You want to like no. see behind like what 
fucked up shit happens. I don't, I don't know. I don't want to see that. Okay. I don't want to know what it would feel like. I'm good. I can't. It makes me so uncomfortable that I like. Look, I get it because that's how I feel about a lot of things, aka stuff to do with the back of the ankle. I don't even want to talk about it. That's all I'm gonna say. What? That's so weird. Oh my god! Anything to get to do with that tendon? <gasps> oh, fair. We won't like say dry that. heave central. We won't say the the word out loud. Okay. Uh, so in 1847 as well. Uh, the cats were documented as used 58 times and the box 759 times. Holy. A lot Whoa. of corporal, corporal, holy crap. A lot of corporal punishment <laughs> in the first while of Kingston Pen. And how many more inmates do they have? I'm going to tell you right now. Okay, good, because yeah. now I'm trying to do the math of, like, if there's only six men. No, 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 no. <laughs> okay, thank God. No. So five months into the opening of Kingston Pen, they had brought in uh, 62 inmates in total, including women. Okay. By the year 1850, so that would have been 15 years after the penitentiary opened, the facility was housing 410 inmates, including 24 women and girls. So oh, in and girls, great. In 1847, so there would have been hundreds of inmates getting those 700. But still, you... I mean, it's still a lot. But that's like, that's just one kind. The first yeah. one was like a really high number as well. So those two combined? Holy mm -hmm. shit, that's a lot of punishment. Yeah, 5,000 bread and water meals, 58 cat whips, and 759 box uses in one year. Wow. Yeah. So 800 divided by, that's like, so like every inmate's done it once. So basically they like were only saying. using corporal punishment. Yeah. Yeah. And okay. I believe it's something outrageous and I, and I do talk about it later in the episode, but I think it was like 1978 that corporal punishment was banned by law. Whoa. It's a long time. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. By the year, yeah, uh... These riots are starting to make sense. Yeah. Women were incarcerated at Kingston Pen in its first century until the opening of a women's prison. Um, and they were housed literally under somehow worse conditions than the men. In 1843, inspectors noted that nine women were confined to a walled off section of the dining hall. So they didn't house them in... The cell blocks with the men, they actually made these like makeshift areas that they like penned off in the dining hall and other areas. Um, the area was, that was just for safety or because they didn't want to have to just deal with them commingling, do you think? Yes. Okay. All of, all of the above. Okay. Uh, the area was cold. It was cramped. It was crawling with bugs. The bug problem became so bad that in 1846, the women refused to work. Uh, women in the penitentiary also had to fend off, like, advances from men and flogging from other male inmates. I think we've all seen a movie or something where you see females walking past male inmates and there's a lot yep. of cat calls, yelling, abusive terms. Yes. So I think we can all imagine. Yes. A women's ward was eventually built in 1852, which meant the women were no longer having to, like, deal with the flogging and stuff of uh, 
men. However, they were still being chained, submerged in ice water. Um, another thing that they did to the female inmates to like humiliate them was shave their heads. Um, because especially back then, hair was very much tied to like femininity and being a female. Like, yeah. I don't know. I feel like some to people. To me, it still is personally yeah. for myself, not in general, but I to myself. I was going to say, still is for a lot of people, my- but I feel like. In society in general nowadays, like short hair and stuff on women is really common. And a lot of women totally. and females use it as like an empowerment thing. But back then, it wasn't really like that. It was just like that was punishment for women was cutting or shaving their hair yeah. off. Um, and to each their own. Like to me, yeah. that is something that makes me personally feel feminine. Whereas there's other women who don't need that to like would love have that feminine feeling. I wish I did have that confidence. I would love but... to have all my hair off, but Brandon likes it too much. <sighs> I think yeah, about I... it like daily. I don't. I know you love your hair. <laughs> I love having hair. Yeah. <laughs> Kingston Penitentiary eventually opened Kingston Prison for Women, which operated from January 24th, 1934 to May 8th, 2000. Um, so they did open a women's ward in 1852, and it was used till about 100 years after the prison was opened uh, until the women's prison was opened in 1934. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so. That's probably the one time I'm like, I wish we weren't equal. <laughs> yeah. Leave us out of it. Not only did the penitentiary house women in its early years, it also housed straight up children. Um, and keep in well, that's mind what that, I heard when you said girls, I was like, what? Well, and keep in mind some of the rules, like no talking, no nodding, like that's chil- just setting up people to abuse children and for children to fail. That's what I mean. Like, they're going to get either physically, mentally, or emotionally abused when they Mm -hmm. fuck up. What they're going to, they're kids. They want to talk and chat and play and... (sighs) Yeah. The youngest inmate ever housed at Kingston Penitentiary was eight-year-old Antoine Booch. Booch? He was given a three-year sentence at Kingston Pen in 1845 when he was What, did he not clean his room? No, he was involved in, like, a pickpocket operation with his brothers. Um, so his older brothers, Louis and Narcisse. Yeah, Narcisse. They were involved in, like, a pickpocket operation on the St. Lawrence River aboard the steamboat Sydenham. Narcisse was 19, Louis was 12, and Antoine was only 8. Um According to Warden Henry Smith's punishment book, Antoine was whipped within a week of his arrival and 48 more times over the next nine months. Among the house rules that he broke were staring, laughing, whistling, and giggling. So being a kid. was eight years old. That's disgusting. Yep. Uh... an 1849 commission headed by George Brown to review the penitentiary's management said, quote, this eight-year-old child received 47 corporal punishments, the lash, in nine months and all for offenses of the most childish character. The report termed the treatment of Antoine as, quote, another case of revolting inhumanity. 
The report also recorded that inmate Elizabeth Breen was flogged six times when she was only 12 years old. Uh, and like I said, oh, sorry, I was wrong. It was 1972. The laws prohibiting the practice of corporal punishment were amended in 1972. Yeah. What the fuck? Okay. In 1878, nine-year-old Sarah Jean Pierce, who was the youngest female inmate in prison history, received a seven-year sentence for housebreaking and larceny. So, Breaking and entering and theft under a like a low level theft. She stole items. She was nine, such as a quilt, a lady's hat, a towel, a pitcher, some beef, raisins, biscuits, tea, and sugar. While she was given a seven-year sentence at Kingston Pen. Her mother, who received the stolen goods, was handed a six-month sentence in county jail. Oh, my God. Yeah. Because we were just punishing children like adults in the 1800s. Of course we were. Another form of corporal punishment that was used in Kingston Penitentiary was described by former inmate Wayne Ford, and this was the repeated use of a long perforated leather strap. He said, quote, it was about the size of a cricket bat with one inch holes. The inmate was tied at a 90 degree angle on a table, bent at the waist, his ankles in shackles. Just hearing the whistle of the strap strap being swung and it hitting the guy's ass, the joint got awfully quiet fast. That was so descriptive. I could picture that whole thing. And having had quite a few friends and lived in a city like both of us where cricket was quite common, I can picture that cricket racket. And that is like nightmare inducing. The corporal punishment sounded extreme at Kingston Pen, and we'll we're like that's going to be a theme over this episode and the riot episodes is how it was like the fallback was just beating mm-hmm. the shit out of these people, which is possibly how Canada became the way it is now with how. You know, rehabilitative, rehabilitative we are, and I yeah. mean, we we've definitely come a long way in our in like, it's the the polar opposite of this conversation we're having right now in our prison system, mm-hmm. um, and and I do believe that this is one of the reasons why a lot of changes came out yeah. of of this of this penitentiary. Yep. Before the 1900s, tourists and visitors could actually pay an admission fee to come and, like, gawk at prisoners like they're zoo animals. You could, like, pay to just come walk through the penitentiary where people were actively being housed. One of the people who visited was the English novelist Charles Dickens. He visited in 1842, and in his book, American Notes for General Circulation, he wrote, quote, There is an admirable jail here, well and wisely governed and excellently regulated in every respect. The men were employed as shoemakers, rope makers, blacksmiths, tailors, carpenters, and stone cutters. 
and in building a new prison, which was pretty far advanced towards completion. The prison, the female prisoners were occupied in needlework. Um, wisely governed and excellently regulated would not be words that were used to describe Kingston Pen in the years to come. Um, I don't even necessarily think they were accurate words to use then. I think everyone's just sugarcoating it, obviously. Uh, yeah, and I mean, like, a different time for sure, but I I agree. Uh, the tours of Kingston Pen while people were actively living there were canceled in the early 1900s. Fair. Bad conditions at Kingston Pen was not reserved for the early years. In a 1989 report commissioned by Kingston Penn's warden, the institution was considered a, quote, dumping ground for bad guards, with some guards terrorizing fellow staff and inmates. In March of 1999... We talked about this before. Yeah. In March of 1999, the RCMP began an investigation code... Uh, sorry. I'm going to try that one again. Okay. In March of 1999, the RCMP began an investigation that they codenamed Correct Zero that would use inmates as paid informants. This was at the request of the new warden, Monty Bork. So this guy obviously came in and saw that there was like shit going down in this prison that was out of control. So he contacted the authorities, had them hire his inmates as paid informants to snitch on the guards to find out what was going on inside of his prison. This place is so fucking ass backwards in the way they think things are going to work. Yep. I mean, it kind of worked. During the investigation, eight guards were fired, with one firing being overturned. One guard was suspended, and two of the implicated guards actually committed suicide before the investigation went public. Oh, God, that's terrifying. Yeah. One of the informants told CBC Radio News in 2001 that under instructions from special prison investigators, he bought and sold booze, marijuana, cocaine, and heroin through some of the prison guards, even, like, getting uh, a cut. He said he was, quote, bringing him, like, a few hundred dollars every other day or something like that, he said. And he started bringing me... Uh, pot and more pot and more pot. He also said those guards would warn him whenever security searches were scheduled. <laughs> yeah. That's so messed up. Yeah. So, yeah, he was, like, basically buying and selling through these guards. That's so fucked up. Yeah. Okay. The informant also arranged to buy confidential information about other inmates in Canadian prisons, which would place those prisoners at risk. He brokered deals at the request of some guards to have certain inmates beaten up. He said, quote, this guy offered me an ounce to put a contract on somebody so I would break his jaw or something like that or get someone to do the job. The man says police paid him more than $15,000 for his, like, inside informant services. What? Yeah. And what year was this? 
like between 1999 and 2001. He also received special preference for family visits and was moved to a minimum security prison. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. One of the guards actually agreed to a $180,000 mortgage from a mob-connected inmate who was one of the police informants. So, like, literally the guards were paying prisoners to beat up other prisoners. They were giving prisoners drugs to sell to other prisoners and then giving them a cut. Like, yeah. (laughs) What the CBC released the details of this investigation, including that police and senior correction officials had been investigating the allegations for more than two years on June in June of 2001. So they released all this information to the public in June of 2001. But these investigations and like these undercover operations had been ongoing for like over two years since 1999. Okay. Isn't that wild? It is. It seems like. A, there's absolutely zero trust in this facility, which I think when you're running anything like this, too, you need to actually, like, trust each other and know that no one's fucking around or testing so each a couple, other. Or there's like, a couple things here for me. Were all of the bad guards just ending up there? Like, was It sounds like it Because they me. said dumping ground for bad guards. So it's like all of the guards that aren't cutting it, all the, all the other institutions that are, like, less reliant on corporal punishment and maybe are being watched a lot more closely that have that are treating their inmates better like all these guards that aren't cutting it in those facilities are just getting dumped at this place yeah i think this facility gets overlooked inside and out over and over but i also feel like yeah it's like remember that other case we talked about where there was like three people that went through like the police academy and then like the one guy after working for a bit they were like this guy's kind of a wild card and we don't really trust him. So they just like sent him to a facility outside of town and we're like, well, that's where they just send people that are like him or who are aggressive or mean to inmates. They sent it to just like these facilities that are known for these aggressive punishments. Yeah. And, and I would guess that the thought behind that, maybe whether it was conscious or subconscious, was that this place was housing the worst of the worst. So. But they weren't always. That's the hard part. Like, yeah, it kind of evolved into that over time. You're yeah. right. It wasn't. It like, wasn't it's hard like to that just from go the with beginning. that right out the bat. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Eight year olds. Yep. So inmate Wayne Ford or former inmate Wayne Ford said of Kingston Pen, quote, we hated the place. If you were a criminal, you knew about Kingston Pen and you didn't want anything to do with that place. Ford was inmate number 2778 and had just turned 20 when he started a life sentence at Kingston Pen in July of 1996. He said, quote, everybody in Ontario who had been in jail at one time or another knew about KP. In a strange way, I looked forward to Kingston and the chance to be around serious criminals. I was expecting everyone to be like Al Capone, you know, big shots. Instead, they were all just shitheads like me. Guys who pulled stupid things. It was a letdown in some ways. So he thought he was getting mobsters and he got lowbrow criminals that are just kind of idiots. Yep. Oh, good. Yeah. He did recall that some of the inmates just simply could not handle the harsh conditions of the institution at all, like not built for it. He recalled one young inmate who he said was scared shitless from the get-go who hung himself after being there for just five days. 
And that was the thing about Kingston Penn was like, you were so scared to get transferred there because all of the other institutions were talking about it. it everybody knew well, that yeah. it was like the worst place to go. It's almost like someone being like, I don't even know how to explain it. Maybe not in the mind, but yeah, it's like people just go there and they don't care about them. A hundred percent. Yeah. And it's crazy. not even do they not care about them. They, they're like so focused on keeping them in line and like beating them if they do anything otherwise. You know what I mean? Like they don't think of them as people. Not at all. They think they're the worst of the worst again. And even though they're not yeah. all, they're still human beings. Yeah. Ford said that to him, um, the situation with the young inmate who arrived and hung himself after being there for five days, he said, quote, that exemplified and personified the fear factor within KP. Yeah, that place was run on fear. Yeah. After Wayne Ford was paroled in 1975, he worked with the Lo Lifeline InReach program, which helped inmates focus on getting out and staying out of prison this program was abolished uh, by the Harper government. Mm -mm. Closure of Kingston Pen was announced by the then public safety minister, Vic Taves, on April 19th, 2012, due to crumbling infrastructure and costly upkeep. It was one of the oldest prisons in continuous use in the world at the time of its closure. Uh, it was holding over 350 inmates. The official closing date was September 30th, 2013, and tours began on October 2nd, 2013. I'm not kidding. Okay, wait, but when they say they closed the doors, does that even mean that all the inmates are out of there? Yeah, like they closed it and had everybody out by September 30th, 2013, okay, and God. then were paying, like letting people pay to come tour two days later. Tickets for Kingston Pen Tours sold out in less than an hour. Um, and as of this year, you can still tour Kingston Pen. Admissions are $26 for the Express Tour, $41 for the Standard Tour, and $81 for the Extended Tour. So, like, the one where you get to, like, go and be told about Paul Bernardo's cell specifically? I guess. Like, <laughs> I what, know. do you... Does it range on how bad of a, like... Okay, let's move it. You're on the express one. You don't get any tour. Yeah, I don't know if it maybe just goes in a little bit more detail about, you mm -hmm. know, the things that took place there. And you can see it on the website for the tours. They, like, go very much into detail about what the different tours are. I just didn't feel it was super relevant because um, we do have a little bit more to go through. I just wanted to announce that. And then we're going to talk about um, some of the escapes from the prison over the years. And then we're going to talk about some of the earlier riots at the prison. And then we're going to kind of end there because our next episode, okay. we're going to talk about the specifically the riot that occurred in 1971. And we are going to talk a lot more about Kingston Penn in that episode as well. Um, this but is going to be riot heavy. Right. This is kind of just all the stuff yeah. that like, you know, the cutting floor. It made it. It didn't make okay. it. This is just like the prelude. It is. So there was very few escapes from Kingston Penitentiary. There was only 27 documented attempts since the prison's opening in 1835. So this place was open for 178 years and 
there's only 27 documented escape attempts. Jeez. And I feel Especially like... because, like, attempts were made very frequently in, like, the 1800s. Everyone tried to break out, I thought. And I feel like that just speaks to, again, the fear factor in this place. Yeah. Right? Norman Ryan, who went by the name Red Ryan, was known as Canada's Jesse James. Uh, he did successfully escape Kingston Pen in 1923 with four other inmates. Red Ryan was first charged with theft at the age of 12 in 1907. By the age of 17, he was serving his first of many stays in Kingston Pen for, quote, shooting with intent. Um, it's funny to me how the charges have, like, changed over the years. But, like, you can still tell what they are, kind of. You can tell what it is. It's just, like, shooting with intent isn't a thing anymore <laughs> that I know of anyways. When the First World War began, Red decided to enlist as an alternative to, to facing decades in prison. So I guess that was an option when the First World War came around. If you were in prison, you actually had the option to enlist in the war, and then you were done serving your prison time. Okay. Yeah, so this guy... I'm kind of fine with that. Yeah, this guy enlisted in the army or, like, to go serve rather than um, serving his, like, decades in prison. Um, however, by the 1920s, Red was back to his old ways, robbing banks. Hmm. I was kind of hoping the military training would be just enough to snap a few of them out of it, at least. Not this guy. Well, maybe not Red. did. Not Red. Not Big Red. Not good old Red. Okay. Not Big Red. Big Red. During a stay at Kingston Pen after another one of his infamous robberies, Red led four other inmates over the wall of KP after first setting fire to a shed as a distraction. They made it over. They escaped. (laughs) From there, he went back to robbing banks in Ontario before moving on to the USA. Red Ryan was captured three months after he escaped in Minneapolis and placed back in Kingston Pen. After his capture and rearrest, Red Ryan was known as a model prisoner and was released on parole in 1935. He became a poster boy for prison reform and even hosted a radio show denouncing crime and advocating for prison reform. Hmm. He sold cars and he received an advance for a book he titled Crime Does Not Pay. Can we guess what Red Ryan was doing in his leisure hours while he was doing all of this? I mean, I'm going to say he was still committing crimes or doing something fraudulent. He was doing crime. He was but secretly... all I can think of is, like, Red Ryan, Red Ryan, we call Rover over. Like, yep. I keep just picturing, like, Red Rover, oh, Red Rover, because his name is too difficult. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, so in his leisure hours while he's doing all of this, just... uh, he's robbing banks on the side. <laughs> Just dabbling Still, in some bank robbery. dabbling you know. in crime while denouncing crime. Uh, until he was actually shot dead. He was shot dead by police during a botched liquor store holdup in 1936 in Sarnia, Ontario. Um, he killed a police officer and then was subsequently shot by police. Kind of sucks. He doesn't sound like he was the worst of the worst. He was definitely crafty. He was crafty. He was a crafty guy. I mean, he knew to 
enlist in the war, avoid the sentence. He kind of knew how to work the system a little bit. Like I think it's hilarious personally that he was like hosting a radio show talking about like how crime is bad and advocating prison reform, wrote a fucking book and received an advance for it titled Crime Does Not Pay and he's actually robbing banks like like, on his in his free time. Ballsy. Very. On September 11th, 1923, on his first day as a reporter with the Toronto Daily Star, which we now know as the Toronto Star, 24-year-old Ernest Hemingway was sent to the prison to cover the dramatic jailbreak of Red Ryan. In his 2,600-word report, Hemingway detailed how the five inmates escaped and described Red Ryan as a, quote, thick, freckle-faced man whose prison cap could not hide his flaming head. So he's a ginger. Yeah. That's Crazy. where he got the name Red Short, from. stout ginger. Oh, I thought that was his just his real name. No, Norman was his real name. He just went by oh. Red. After you kept calling him Red, I had completely forgotten about Norman. That's fair. No, his, his, his birth name was Norman, but he's known in the... In the history books, if the you will. The crime community. In the, yeah, as Red Ryan. Okay. So, okay. another notorious bank robber who successfully escaped Kingston Pen was Tyrone William Kahn, also known as Ty Kahn. Kahn had already managed to escape from three other prisons before he was transferred to Kingston Pen in 1998. On May 6, 1999, he managed to get over the institution's 10-meter perimeter fence by using a handmade ladder and grappling hook he constructed in the prison shop, just making escape tools at work. Maybe a little supervision in the shop would be good. A little. Just saying. Uh, Ty Khan also used cayenne pepper to prevent the scent dogs from following Mm. him. He escaped at night and placed a dummy he made by stuffing clothing with paper in his bed. And it was not discovered he was gone until the next morning. Another That's crafty the same criminal. As, like, the kids with pillows sneaking out of their houses. Another crafty criminal. Ty Khan, as he was known, robbed his first bank when he was 16 years old and faced charges for more than 30 other offenses over his lifetime. He was transferred from Millhaven Institution to Kingston Pen in 1998 after advising security staff that inmates there were planning an escape. Two weeks after his escape, police tracked Ty Khan to a basement apartment in Toronto. During a standoff with police and while speaking on the phone to a CBC producer, Ty Khan accidentally shot himself and died. He was the last inmate to successfully escape Kingston Pen. I'm confused by that whole situation, but okay. Now, I will say that amongst my research, there was conflicting accounts of if Ty Khan accidentally shot himself or if he committed suicide. To me, committing suicide makes more sense in the story of being on the phone with the news and the police were like surrounded the apartment building oh yeah i just wasn't able to confirm it um but either way he died in a somewhat standoff with police surrounded in a toronto apartment a basement apartment um and he was the last inmate to successfully escape kingston pen 
I do agree with you, though. I think it's safe to say that given the circumstances and what we've seen historically otherwise, I think it's fair to say he likely completed suicide rather than... Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just don't think that was intentional. <laughs> yeah, whether... Sorry, I do think it was intentional. Whether it was an accident or not, we're unsure, but he ended up dead. Okay. In 1847, one former inmate actually broke into Kingston Pen. Oh, I forgot something. <laughs> Pretty much. Okay. It was a few days before Christmas, and this man didn't have any money. However, he had worked for Kingston Pen's deputy warden, so he knew where to find the prison's petty cash. So... This man gets a ladder, he climbs to the top of the penitentiary wall, he lowers himself down the wall on a rope, he does get the money, and as he's trying to climb back out, the rope breaks. So now he's screwed. The next morning, Kingston Penn guards find they have an extra inmate in their lineup. He's just in there, he's like, hey guys, um, yeah, so long story short. So uh, he ends up getting an additional 18 months in jail understandable he broke in and they did not they did not let him out for another 18 months i don't think that's unfair i found that story like very late into my research like as i was wrapping this episode up and i was like kind of going through it making sure it was ready to go i found this and i was like oh i must add that with the escapes (laughs) without a doubt especially because you were like oh he really wanted to break in yeah like one person actually came back Oh, it's too funny. Like, okay, sad that he didn't have any money for Christmas. I'm not, like, not human, but the the context of the story is funny to me. I also feel like I can just totally picture that, like, someone trying to, like, climb a wall with a rope and the rope breaks and the next morning, like, people show up to work and you're like, hey, guys, I just got locked in. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, I'm here. They're they're like, who the fuck is this guy? He's just sitting on the floor like, oh. Hey, you're here. Uh, it must have been alarming for the guards, too, because I, I'm sure yeah. it's not too often that you have an extra inmate. You know, like it's you might have one less yeah. and then it's like, oh, shit, someone escaped. But I don't think it's very common to have an additional person. You're like, person. go recount that. You have to be wrong. And it's like, no, oh, we have shit. an extra one. So funny. Over the years, there have been a number of notorious Canadian criminals housed at Kingston Pen. The prison was transformed into a protective custody institute in 1978, meaning it became home to... This is when it becomes literally home to the worst of the worst. So 1978, they designate Kingston Pen a protective custody institute, meaning people that literally can't survive in general population are going to come here. So yes. of the cases that we have covered on this show, uh, Kingston Penn has housed Paul Bernardo, Clifford Olson, Russell Williams, who was the panty-stealing CFB Trenton commander, uh, Mohammed Shafia, we covered that case. He murdered his entire family. Stephen Truscott was also held at Kingston Penn when he was wrongfully accused of the murder of Lynn Harper, which is another case that we've covered. Um, Also horrific to go there when you really didn't do anything. And I believe we did talk about that in that episode, but because we hadn't done this episode, it was like really hard to grasp how awful how Kingston Penn really was, especially, yeah, he was a young kid and he was wrongfully convicted of this murder and spent a number of years there. Um, so that's 
awful and horrifying. But yeah, it became the place where like the sex sex crimes, child murderers, sadists, all the people Essentially, who... like you said, anyone that would be killed out in the yard generally because everybody else there who are criminals also think that they're a piece of shit mm-hmm. has to go there. Yeah, and so that will come back up as well when we talk about the riots of 71. Some of the more notable historical inmates at Kingston Pen over the years include Grace Marks in 1843, whose story is told by Margaret Atwood in the book Elias Grace. Susanna Moody also told her story in a chapter in her 1853 book Life in the Clearings. Hmm. Yeah. Grace Marks was an Irish immigrant who was 16 years old in 1843 when she was convicted for, uh, for the murders of her wealthy employer, Thomas Kinnear and Nancy Montgomery, who was Thomas's housekeeper and mistress. Grace, Grace Marks was originally sent to an asylum, but was later transferred to Kingston Pen. She was pardoned and released 30 years later. So, yeah, the Margaret Atwood book Elias Grace covers that story. Hmm. Okay, I might look into that one because I'm curious. I want to know all the details because that's a young woman to be guilty of those murders. Yeah, absolutely. James Donnelly was the patriarch of the Ontario family nicknamed the Black Donnellys. He served seven years in Kingston Pen after he killed a man in a drunken brawl in 1857. The Donnellys were part of a long-running feud that began long before in Ireland. James, his wife, two sons, and a niece were attacked and murdered at their farm by a mob in 1880. Despite strong evidence, the jury acquitted the accused. Sad. Jeez. Mary Ann Howd and her husband were convicted for the murder of her stepdaughter, Aurora Gagnon, in 1920. Aurora was 11 years old at the time. Howd was sentenced, um, but the sentence, sorry, Howd was sentenced to hang, but the sentence was commuted to life in prison, and she was sent to Kingston Pen. Howd was released in 1935, ill with cancer, and died less than a year later. Aurora became a cultural icon in Quebec. A hugely successful play, Aurora, L'Enfant Martyr, which stands for Aurora the Martyred Child, Child, was first performed in 1921. Four novels, a film, and even a puppet show followed. I wonder (laughs) if Simon knows anything about that. What's it called? Aurora L'Enfant Martyr. Babe, do you know anything about a play or a piece of art called L'Enfant Martyr? Malture, like martyr. Oh, yeah, he's very well aware of it. <laughs> he hasn't thought of that in a very long time. I mean, that's fair. It's from the 1920s. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, it sounds like it, it turned into this like huge thing in Quebec. Fair. Now, keep in mind, Kingston was located between Montreal and Toronto. It's very close. So yeah. a lot of inmates were actually from Quebec and were French speaking right. that were housed yeah. there. Makes sense. All right. So there were three major riots at Kingston Pen over its 178 years in operation. Um, Like I said, we're going to talk about the main one, the 1971 riots in a different episode. However, there were two others. 
A prison riot at the penitentiary first occurred in 1932. At the time, the Communist Party of Canada General Secretary Tim Buck was in a cell serving time for sedition, uh, which is overt conduct such as speech and organization that tends toward rebellion against the established order. It sounds like some Star Wars shit. So leading a rebellion. Yeah. Basically, all it was was that with the onset of the Great Depression, the conservative government under R.B. Bennett became really worried about like left wing activity um and agitation and so on august 11th 1931 the communist party offices in toronto ontario were raided and general secretary tim buck and several of his colleagues were arrested and charged um so he was thrown into kingston pen so this little riot like breaks out in 1932 in the penitentiary and there's not a lot of detail about that little riot itself because it sounds like it didn't last very long and it wasn't you know, massive by any means. But yeah, after the riot, guards were ordered to fire shots through the peephole of cells where and when they detected a commotion. So if they thought that they heard people so just fighting. blindly shooting. Correct. Right into people's cells. Like, don't uh, check the people first. Just fire. Literally just fire. Oh start firing rounds through the peepholes. Um, <sighs> yeah. While sitting okay. in his cell, seven to eight shots were fired into Tim Buck's cell through a window and narrowly missed him. The government later admitted in the House of Commons of Canada that those shots had been deliberately fired into Tim Buck's cell to scare him. Well, yeah, why else would you do it? If you don't want to scare him, you want to hurt him. So, But, like, I think... There wasn't even commotion occurring in his cell. They were just like, mm, oh, he fi- was just like hanging out. And fire. Were like, yeah, he was just sitting mm-hmm. in his cell. They were just like, mm, fire a few in that one just for fun. Just make sure he keep knows. him on his toes. Correct. Oh, God. Yeah. In August of 1954, while inmates were getting ready to play a basement. Uh, sorry. No, that's not, that's not right. In August of 1954, while inmates were getting ready to play a baseball game, prison guards were attacked while other inmates set fire to various buildings in the yard, including the shops and a warehouse using cigarette lighters. The flames from the fires could be seen from the downtown Kingston marketplace. At least one guard was held hostage but managed to escape by dressing like a prisoner. A (laughs) squad of RCMP officers as well as 160 Canadian army, army troops were called in to put an end to the riot. 900 inmates were involved in total in the two-hour riot, with the 50 considered ringleaders being placed in solitary confinement. In total, this riot cost an estimated $2 million in damages, and at the time, this was considered to be the worst prison riot in Canadian history. Um, they had no idea what that even meant or what was coming. And a third and final riot at Kingston Pen, which lasted a total of four days and took casualties, occurred in 1971. This will be the discussion of our next episode. So, so they were just like warming up, testing different ways of doing it almost. They thought that was the worst riot in history. Let me put it that way. Uh, they had no clue what was coming. Uh, so we're going to leave it there. Also, can I just say, 
51 ringleaders. I laughed out loud at that. No, 50. 50 considered ringleaders. I know, but like... Oh, like... That's just like the whole group. They were like... Well, there was 900 of them in total involved in the riots. But I imagine... I imagine because they were starting a baseball game that like the 50 considered ringleaders would have been like whoever was going to be playing that game and the 900 total would have been like once everything was in commotion and the rest of them just joined in. That's how I see okay. it. Okay. Right? I see what you're saying there. Yeah. Okay. I like, get that. The, that makes the, sense. the guys who were at this baseball game and attacked these guards yeah. and started lighting shit on fire and really incited this and made it happen are the ringleaders and like 900 inmates got involved. So they obviously were just like, woo, um, let's do this. But they they shut that shit down pretty quick. Two hours, and they brought in, yeah, 160 army troops, RCMP officers, and they, they were able to to get that one wrapped up. So um, stay tuned because two. the next episode, they don't have that kind of luck. Let's put it that yeah. way. I know very little about it, but I did know that. Yeah. So... That's it. That is a little bit of the background, the history of Kingston Penitentiary, Canada's oldest, longest running uh, maximum security facility. It was also at the time it closed in 2013, one of the longest running prisons in the world. Um, It's a huge historical piece of this country, albeit maybe a bit of a nasty one. Not our happiest piece of history, but it's like a huge source of history for penitentiaries and inmates and all of that jazz so yeah that's it that's a wrap and i'm only three minutes over time that i said i would be for your dinner what (laughs) although we still have to remind people where to follow us to share episodes where to send their case suggestions although i'm sure they all know all these details yeah if you don't already make sure to follow us on socials at podcast by proxy on instagram facebook twitter and tiktok you can email case suggestions or just your general thoughts if you feel i guess (laughs) to podcast by proxy at gmail.com say hi fan mail if you will uh if you feel so inclined don't forget to leave us a rating and review on apple or spotify hugely helpful to our show's success reaching other listeners mm-hmm. if you have a true crime fan friend i couldn't even share get that the word episode out. share like your favorite episode or if you hear an episode and you're like "Ooh, so and so would have loved that share it send it to them also, like, like share it with everyone a little thing at the top of spotify with the little stars and yep tell us what you think it yep, really helps. Too. It, all of those things are helpful to us. Um, we're trying to get better at mentioning them on the show because it is really helpful to our growth. And um, the last couple of weeks, you guys have really been coming out for us. The episode on Madison Scott was huge numbers in terms of mm-hmm. you guys were really sharing it and listening to that story. So thank you for that. Um, continue to share the episodes with anybody who you know who might like the true crime in Canada. And yeah, we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. I'll call you soon. Okay. <gasps> okay. Bye. 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 How do I stop this shit? I'll stop it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck me.